Well, for those of you in person and for those online, uh, again, uh, thank you for spending some time with us this morning in worship. Before we get into uh, our series, we, uh, this is the conclusion of our 21 days of prayer and fasting, and uh, we hope that that has been an encouragement uh, to you. Next Sunday evening is our worship night in conclusion of this experience at 6.30. Uh, the thing that you need to know about that is that because of, of course, the social distancing policies and that sort of thing in place, we only have a certain uh, amount. We have a limited number of spots. Uh, we cannot accommodate overflow. So if you intend on coming to the worship night, you need to let us know uh, of that intention so we can uh, make room for you at 6.30. Prior to that, at 5.30 is our uh, pre-worship prayer gathering, and uh, that has always um, uh, been an experience that has been helpful to a lot of people. And so uh, I hope that uh, if you want to be a part of that, you'll need a Bible, a pen, and a journal, a Bible, a pen, and a journal uh, at 5.30 at the pre-worship prayer gathering, and then uh, we'll worship at 6.30. Uh, also, Operation Christmas Boxes are in place, and uh, we need your participation in that so we can bless uh, those children at Christmas time. And uh, we are going to Guatemala in February. So if you intend or are interested in that trip, uh, we can give you the information you need for that. So let us know of your interest in that opportunity as well. So at, if you've been here, you know that we have been going through the Lord's Prayer in this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Every week uh, we read this prayer together. I want to remind you that these are, these are not just words to recite. Uh, it's okay to recite a prayer, but Jesus is actually teaching us how to pray, giving us a structure or a model in which we can pray our own words and how we can go to God and connect with Him in prayer. He's teaching us in what we call the Lord's Prayer. So uh, as always, would you stand with me? And let's recite this prayer together. Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, in the middle of this prayer, as we found last week, uh, are several requests that Jesus teaches us how to make, how to present our request to our Father in heaven. Verse 11, give. Verse 12, forgive. And verse 13, deliver. Give us this day. Uh, forgive us our debts. And then deliver us from evil. God wants us to ask for these things. Now, the question is, and this is the biggest motivation for prayer, how do you pray uh, the request part of the prayer uh, in a way that gives you what you request, right? I mean, this is what we're after is answered prayer. How do we increase the odds or the, or the potential of answered prayer? And for that, we have to look at the way Jesus teaches us to pray. We don't just go to God and ask for things. Jesus is teaching us how to approach our Father, how to connect with our Father, and in that way, how to present our requests to our Father. So this is how we start. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be, there, be your name. I acknowledge that you are Father. I acknowledge you are God and I am not. You are good and I am not. I am sinful and broken and needy and undeserving. You are the holy God that is good and loving and you have everything I need. So I pray 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, you are sovereign. I am not. You are in control. I am not. So I surrender my kingdom. I surrender my will. I want what you want for me. I want what you want for me. And when I'm living in what you want for me, then I can present my request to God. Last week, we looked at the first one. Give us this day our daily bread. Everything I have that is good comes from you. And even the things that I have that are bad, you can turn for good. You can work for my good and your glory. Your goodness has no bounds. And the best thing that you've ever given me in my daily bread is the living bread, is Jesus. And so therefore, I pray because of Jesus, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, last week, uh, we looked at the part of the prayer that is prayed most often, give us, <laughs> give us. This week, we look at the part of the prayer that is prayed least often. Last week, we learned if it matters to you, it matters to God. He knows what you need. Your God is your father. He's, he wants to supply your need and bless you with good things. If you need it, your father knows it, and he has it to give you. He wants to give you. If it matters to you, it matters to him. So go to him and request. This week, we learned that if it matters to God, it should matter to you. In other words, if God is your father, what he cares about, what he's concerned about, what he is passionate for. In fact, this is, this is the line in the prayer. This line in the prayer matters so much to the Father that this is the only line in the prayer that gets a footnote. If you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, as soon as he gives us this prayer, immediately afterwards, Jesus says, like, oh, by the way, you need to remember, you need to know, verse 14, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The goodness, what does that mean? Does that really mean what it says it means? We'll unpack this. But you need to know, friends, that this is not the only place that Jesus says this sort of thing. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, friends, this is the most misunderstood line in the prayer. It's the most challenging line in the prayer. It is the line that creates the most tension and unease, and it's the riskiest line in the prayer. Jesus makes his point. If it matters to God, it should matter to you. God is a God of forgiveness, and forgiveness matters to him, and so it should matter to us. So we're going to look at this line in the prayer. We're going to look at a teaching in the, in the book of Hebrews that helps us to understand the, this line in the prayer, and then a story that Jesus told us that confirms this line in the prayer. But before we get into this line of the prayer, let me just say this, friends. Some of the scariest people that you will have in your, and we just finished Halloween, right? Some of the most terrifying people in your life are bitter, unforgiving people. Some, some of the people that give you the most, the, the people that you least want in your life, the person you most want to avoid in your life is the angry, resentful, unforgiving person that seeks power and significance from the hurts they refuse to release. They make it very difficult to make it through life. Bitterness, bitter people, unforgiving people. Here's the deal, friends. Bitterness is always justifiable to the bitter. There is always a reason behind their anger, and that anger makes sense to them. It is logical to them. And how dare you disagree with them? Because if you disagree with the reasons for them being bitter and angry, then you become a target of their anger and bitterness. Friends, the, st the stronghold of unforgiveness 
creates an unbreakable barrier to anything and anything good in your life, including God. As Paul says in Ephesians, it gives a devil, it gives the devil a foothold in your life that wreaks havoc throughout your life in every area of your life. Now, I think I'm, I'm talking in the third person as if you and I are never guilty of this, but we all are. We all find it difficult to forgive people. And you need, to, you need to understand, and Jesus is teaching us, whenever you attempt to keep the hurt out of one relationship, you also keep the love out of all of your relationships because, friends, bitterness bleeds. Unforgiveness seeps, seeps into every area of your life, every relationship of your life. You cannot compartmentalize your anger and resentment and bitterness. It spreads. So forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What is Jesus teaching us in this line? Father in heaven, forgive us. Forgive us. This is where the communal aspect of this prayer really takes effect, right? I mean, last week, you can ask for daily bread without ever thinking of us, but you can't pray forgive as you forgive without thinking of the us that compels you to pray this part of the prayer. (laughs) Some translations use the word trespass. Others use the word sin. All of these convey a transgression that needs to be fixed. What is sin? Sin is creating a debt. Sin steals. Sin uh, kills. Sin destroys. And the gospel makes clear that we, because we are sinners, we have created a debt to our creator uh, that we cannot pay. And so through the blood of Jesus on the cross, God satisfied that debt on our behalf and then says to his children, and he says this several places in the Bible because we can't seem to get this right very many times, forgive others as I have forgiven you. Forgive others as I have forgiven you. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. Flip this line around. Father, as you have forgiven my debt, forgiven the debt that I've created with you because of my sin, in the same way, may I forgive those debts created by others with me. In other words, what's, what's, what's the bottom line in all of this? What is Jesus teaching? I think that if you're taking notes, write this down. Because you are my father, I have chosen to live redemptively in my life. You are a forgiving God. I want to be a forgiving child. I choose to live in forgiveness. I choose to live a forgiving life. Understanding that my father has forgiven me, I choose to forgive. So father... Help me to be a forgiver like you are a forgiver. Empower me to live a redemptive life in my world, in my relationships. Now, before we go any further, just just a reminder, Jesus is not teaching us about forgiveness here. He's teaching us about prayer, how we can connect with our Father. And he's saying, he's, he's telling us that unforgiveness creates a barrier between you and your Father. You cannot experience intimacy with God, your Father, if you are a person of unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, or anger. And another thing, Jesus is not teaching us. He's not talking to us about our debt or our debtor. Uh, He he talks about forgiveness elsewhere. He talks about our debt and our debtor elsewhere. Right now, he's just talking to us. He's saying, "You, you want a relationship with your God? You want to pray? You want to know what prayer is all about? You cannot pray to your Father in heaven while you're holding a debt, holding the debt of your debtor. God is saying to us, I am your father, you are my child. I have other children, you have other siblings. 
And so how you treat your siblings affects your relationship with me. Parents, isn't that right? Doesn't it trouble you when your children don't get along? God, our Father, this is, this is important to your Father. This is what your Father cares about. It matters to Him. And why does it matter to Him? Well, in part because of what it cost Him to make this, prayer, this part of the prayer possible. Friends, for God to forgive you was, was very expensive on His part. So let's talk about forgiveness. Sin is creating a debt. Forgiveness is simply a decision to release that debt. It's, really, it's, it's important to remind us what forgiveness is by understanding what forgiveness is not. Friends, forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is not a feeling. You don't forgive because you feel like forgiving because most of the time we don't feel like forgiving. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It's not denial. It's not acting like what happened to you didn't, didn't matter it's not minimizing the sin or the sinner. It's not washing things uh, or, or, or sweeping things under the rug. It's coming into reality. Forgiveness has to, to face reality. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. You can forgive regardless of what your debtor, how he feels about it or how he responds to it, whether he repents or confesses or seeks forgiveness. You can still forgive because forgiveness is not reconciliation. Again, Jesus addresses those issues elsewhere, but for now, He's telling us to forgive is to simply make the decision to release the debt that your debtor created by sinning against you. How has anyone sinned against you? Friends, that has, that he, he or she has created a debt. And because of that debt, friends, we live in a just universe. The scales of justice is thrown out of balance every time somebody does something wrong. When anybody ever creates a debt, the universe seeks to reconcile that debt, to reestablish equilibrium. Someone has sinned against you. They've taken something from you. They took your trust and violated it. They took your reputation and they ruined it. They, they took your dignity and abused it. They took your possessions or your health or your peace and your joy. They took your happiness. Whatever it is they took from you, they created a debt which they now owe you. And it's perfectly right that they owe you. That debt demands to be repaid so that you can bring your life back into balance. That debt, that debt has to be dealt with. So how do you deal with it? Well, according to the Gospels, you have, you have two options. You can seek retribution and recompense. In other words, revenge. <laughs> you do something to them to even the score, or they make you pay back to even the score. In any attempt, it, it, you're, trying to, you're trying to balance the books by what you do or what they do. That's your first option. Or your second option is simply to cancel the debt, to wipe out the debt. And friends, that's what forgiveness is. It's saying to your debtor, you no longer owe me this debt. I choose not to require repayment, which means... I'm not going to hold this debt over you anymore because this debt no longer exists. I'm not going to leverage this debt against you because I no longer hold this debt. I'm not going to, and this is very important, I'm not going to allow this debt to affect my peace and joy and happiness. I'm not going to allow you and the debt that you've created to affect how I live my life. I have a father in heaven who cares about me. He cares about this. He cares that you've hurt me. He cares that you have a debt uh, with me. It matters to him. But I, so I'm going to hand it over to him. 
I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to let him take care of the debt. I'm going to let him take care of you. Why? Because I owe him a debt. And he canceled that debt for me. And it is just uncharacteristic of a child of the father to hold somebody in my life to account when he no longer holds me to account. That's easy, right? I mean, we're okay. We can leave now. Uh, no, friends, this is hard. This is really hard. It's, it, but we have to remind ourselves, it's just simply not characteristic of a child, of a father of forgiveness. When we think about the redemption that he's given us, so this is our prayer. May your forgiveness, may my redemption so overwhelm me that I would choose to live redemptively toward those who sin against me. Jesus is teaching us to pray, Father, may your grace be so real in my life that any temptation to bitterness on my part just looks foolish and petty. May I be so gripped by the cross that any act of resentment and revenge is just, it just seems childish to me. Why would I ever pursue that route? Father, I want to be so close to you that when it comes to forgiveness, I mean, you are the father of love. I just want, I just want to bear the family resemblance. I just want to reflect to you in all my ways and all my relationships. Because you died for me, I choose to live redemptively. Now, again, as I said, this is taught many places in the Bible because this is hard for us. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 said, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. He equates living in peace with one another as holiness. And without holiness or without forgiveness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Now, again, this is pretty strong language. This is sobering teaching. Live in peace. Paul said in Romans, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Some people, it's impossible to live at peace because they refuse to to repent or confess, but you can live at peace with yourself because you've released the debt that you, hold, that you hold. Why would you do that? Well, we've already talked about the first reason, because of your relationship with God. It is just simply uncharacteristic of a child to, of God to hold on to unforgiveness. But here, Hebrews tells us another reason. See that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles many, causes trouble and defiles many. What does he mean by that? Friends, the defiling effect of bitterness and unforgiveness causes trouble. And the first person it causes trouble for is the one who is bitter. The one who is unforgiving reaps first the fruit of unforgiveness. You know this, uh, most of the people that you're mad at either don't know or they don't care, right? <laughs> They're not losing sleep over the fact that they hurt you. They're not reliving the event <laughs> in their minds. They're not rehearsing the conversation saying, oh, I wish I would have said that. I wish I would have done that. They're not giving it a thought. They're not critical or cynical or depressed because of this. Their blood pressure is just fine which makes your blood boil all the more, right? You see, you can't afford this. The fruit of bitterness is trouble, and the trouble targets you. 
When you refuse to let people off the hook, you put yourself on the hook. Friends, unforgiveness, unforgiveness creates a debt that is greater than the debt you are unwilling to forgive. Let me say that again. Unforgiveness creates a debt greater than the debt you are unwilling to forgive. You can't afford to waste your life. You cannot afford to lose your peace and joy. You, you don't have the emotional, physical, spiritual reserves to compensate for the trouble bitterness creates for you. That's what Hebrews is telling us. And then Jesus, in Matthew, chapter 20, uh, in Matthew 18, Jesus illustrates this, this teaching with a story that we call the parable of the unmerciful servant. We won't go there. I'll summarize the story for you, but here's the context. The disciples come to him. Peter, in particular, poses a question to Jesus and says, how many times do I need to forgive somebody? How about seven? That's a good number, right, Jesus? He's being, he feels like he's being generous. And Jesus says to him, well, Peter, that's a start, but how about seven times 70? How about seven times 70? And friends, get, he's not giving him a particular number, He's giving him a principle to live by. He's giving him how to live in forgiveness. And the disciples respond, I don't, I don't know that we can do that. It seems impossible. And so Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. You never stop forgiving. You never stop living in forgiveness. Forgiveness is not something you do. Forgiveness is something that you are. It's a lifestyle. A truly forgiving person is a person of forgiveness because we can't afford the price tag of bitterness. And so Jesus says, you know, to, to Peter and the disciples, he says, let me tell you a story about these two guys who owed a debt. Now, the first guy owed so much money uh, that it, it would be impossible for him it, to pay back in an entire lifetime. He couldn't live long enough. He couldn't build enough businesses. He couldn't win enough, enough lotteries. He couldn't work long and hard enough to pay back the debt that he owed. He was completely powerless to pay this debt. And so he fell on the mercy of his master and pled for, for, for forgiveness. He begged to be released. And so the master, Jesus uses this phrase, moved with compassion. The master moved with compassion. And by the way, this is the same phrase that Jesus uses in the story of the, of the prodigal son. Remember that story? The father waits for his son to return. And upon seeing him, Jesus said he was moved with compassion. I think Jesus uses this phrase in both stories with a purpose intentionally. He says, your father in heaven is a father of compassion. He is moved with compassion. He does not treat you as your sins deserve. As far as the east is from the west so far, has he removed your sins from you. The master moves with compassion, forgives the debt of this man who could never pay it back. Now, again, let's remind ourselves of what happens with a debt. What, what, what is sin? It creates a debt. And what happens to that debt? It has to be paid. It has to be dealt with. In a just universe, create, uh, debts create an equilibrium. It creates an imbalance that has to be reconciled and resolved. Justice requires the books to be balanced. Debts have to be, they have to be paid, which, might, which leads us to this question, and many of you have wondered about this. You know, why did Jesus have to die? Why was the cross necessary? Why couldn't God have just said, you know what, forgive it, uh, uh, forget it, it doesn't matter, don't worry about it, I love you, so let's just, you know, it's, it's all good. Friends, he cannot say that because God is a just God. 
And you want God to be just. You don't want a God that you never know how he's going to treat you. He is a just God. He has created a just universe. And in a just world, debts require payment. So the question in this story then is who paid the debt of this man? Because this debt had to be satisfied. Well, the answer is the master. By releasing the debt, he incurred the debt. I mean, by the way, this, this, this was his money, right, that he lost. He forgave the debt and lost the money. By letting this man off the hook, he put himself on the hook. I mean, really, when somebody steals $20 from you and you say, I forgive you, you no longer owe me, you're, you're still out 20 bucks, right? It's your, it's your money. Forgiveness is expensive. No wonder we don't want to forgive, right? The master, moved by compassion, says, you no longer owe me. I, I will absorb the debt. I will take the debt on myself. What's the point Jesus is making? Well, friends, this is the gospel. You, are, you owe far more than you could possibly pay in return. But you have been given far more than you could possibly Deserve the gospel to to establish justice in the universe. Debts must be paid, and you cannot pay the debt that you owe God. And yet, you are far so far uh, loved. What Colossians chapter two says: You were dead. You were dead in your sins. You it was impossible for you because of your debt. But God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all. Everybody say all, all. He forgave us all our sins. By releasing the debt, Jesus absorbed the debt. Jesus is the, think about this. Jesus is the only one who did did everything right. He did everything right. And he was the one punished for doing everything wrong. He balanced the books with his own blood. I owe more, I've been given more. Now, friends, the first point of those, that teaching should humble us and fill us with gratitude. The second point should empower us to come before the throne boldly and say to our Father in heaven, Father, I need the grace that you've given me that I, so that I can extend the grace to those who have hurt me. We can go to our Father who has given us far more than we deserve and ask him to help us give to others what they do not deserve. So this man, he was given a debt far too large for him to pay. He goes out free from this debt, finds a friend that owes him money. Now, Jesus in the story tells us that this this debt is not a small sum. I mean, it's significant, but it's certainly manageable. And the friend finds it hard to pay back, makes the same plea. I can't pay you back. Will you give me time? And the man refuses to be merciful. Well, the master finds out gets very angry, finds this man, tracks this man down and says, what's the deal with you? I forgave you a debt that you could never pay back and you won't forgive your brother? The story concludes with this, verse 34, and the master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. And then Jesus concludes with the same thought that he uses in the Lord's prayer. This is the same Thought So my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother, his trespasses, his debts. This story gives us insight into what Jesus was teaching us in this prayer. 
Because let's stop for a moment and, and state the obvious. This is why we had trouble with this line in the prayer. On a surface reading of this prayer, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, it sounds like that we are not forgiven if we do not forgive, right? It makes it sound like that unforgiveness is the unforgivable sin. If I don't forgive you, then God's not going to forgive me. Is that true? Is that exactly what, what Jesus is trying to convey here? Even though we believe in the forgiveness of Jesus, we've accepted the forgiveness of Jesus, do we go to hell if we don't forgive one another? How, do, how does that line up with the gospel? Well, I think Jesus gives us some insight in, uh, from this story. In verse 34, he says, and deliver him to the torturers to the torturers. Now notice, Jesus did not say, send him back to jail. Jesus did not say, throw him into prison. He said, hand him over to being tortured. Tortured, what is that? Well, friends, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching us how to connect with our Father. And he makes it quite clear that our forgiveness damages our relationship not only with our Father, but with everyone in our life. So think of, this, think of it this way. Jesus isn't saying that you go to hell if you don't forgive because you're already there. You're already, unforgiveness is torture. Bitterness is agony. Resentment is anguish and gnashing of teeth. You've been there. You know what it feels like when you're trapped in bitterness and resentment and this urge for revenge. Think about it. Their sin against you may have created a debt that they're unwilling to pay. They may never confess it. They may never repent of it. But friends, your unforgiveness is creating a debt that you cannot pay. Your unforgiveness will destroy you. It will torture you. And so Jesus is is teaching us, you don't understand your own forgiveness if that's the choice you're making. It's robbing you. It's stealing from you. It's killing you. It's destroying you. So maybe Jesus is saying you need a different motivation to forgive. Don't wait till you feel like it. Don't deny it or minimize it or sweep it under the rug. When you find it hard to forgive the debts of others, you just need to think of the debt your Father in heaven forgave you. As you have forgiven us, so may we forgive one another. May we remind ourselves that nothing, nothing has been done to you that is worse than what you've done to your Father in heaven. So don't look at the person who's harmed you and determine if they're worthy of forgiveness. Look at the cross and determine if you're worthy of forgiveness because you're not. <laughs> and yet you've been forgiven. Jesus absorbed the debt. He put himself on the hook. That's how much your Father in heaven loves you. Hallowed be his name. Forgiven people forgive. They live a life of forgiveness, not according to what people deserve, but according to what they've received. So how has your father, let me close with this. How has your father in heaven forgiven you? Four four ways. Instantly, instantly. There's no waiting period with God. God does not put you on probation to prove your He saved you the moment you confessed and repented and acknowledged the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. No delay, hesitation, or reservation. He forgives instantly. Secondly, he, re- he forgives repeatedly. Repeatedly. Over a- How many repeat offenders do we have among us? <laughs> That's the thing, right? I mean, we're not, all co- we're not that creative when it comes to sin. We pretty much sin the same way all the time. How you offended God 
today or will offend God today is probably the same way that you, will, you had offended God yesterday, which is to say, friends, I'll, there's only so many ways you can leave your dishes in the sink. For 44 years, uh, my wife considers it a mortal sin. It is an offense to her. And as much as I try not to do it, I'm just grateful she practices this line in the prayer. Aren't you glad that there are people in your life that practice this line in the prayer? He forgives repeatedly. Thirdly, he forgives completely. God is not a partial forgiver. He's not a line item forgiver. He doesn't cross off what he's willing and keeps the rest over our heads. He forgives 100%, totally, entirely, absolutely, and completely. And finally, he forgives forgetfully, forgetfully. Now, this, this is hard for us to understand because we have memory banks. We have a brain. It, it's part of what makes us human. We remember things. Now, here's my problem. I forget a lot of things unintentionally. Do you? There's a lot of things that I would like to remember that I, that I just forget. I don't, I don't intend to forget. I just forget them. Here's the deal. It's nearly impossible to forget something intentionally. I'm going to forget that, which makes me think of that all the more. So how do we do this? God is omniscient. He knows everything. He cannot unknow something. So what does it mean that God forgets? Well, I believe it means, and I think the scripture supports this. He just simply chooses not to use our debt against us. He chooses not to look at us in our sinfulness, but to look at us through the blood of Jesus. When he looks at us through Jesus, he doesn't see our debt. He sees our forgiveness. So friends, the only way to intentionally forget is to intentionally forgive. If you do not forgive, you will not forget. So choose to live redemptively. Live justified. As God looks at you, just as if you had never sinned because he looks at you through the blood of Jesus. Jeremiah 31, I will forgive their wickedness. I will remember their sins no more. Jesus absorbed your debt, which is a perfect segue into communion. We're going to celebrate that. If you want to get that ready just now. What are you praying when you pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? Jesus is teaching us to pray, Father, I want to be like you. I want to forgive like you. I want to love like you. I, want to, I, I don't want to live in the torment of bitterness. I want to live in the freedom of forgiveness. How do I do that? I do that the way you do that. I, I allow you to absorb the debt in view of the cross. I remind myself, and friends, this is, this is why he's, every morning his mercies are new. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning we remind ourselves of who loves us and what he did to prove it. And this is why we celebrate communion because we forget unintentionally many times but we just simply forget what God has done for us on the cross. So the only way to rise above our bitterness, the only way to forgive our debtors when they don't deserve it, when they don't ask for forgiveness, is to remind ourselves of the forgiveness that we have received.
the cross empowers you not to focus on what other people did to you, but on what God through Jesus has done for you. So with that in mind, let me read the words of institution and let's celebrate communion together. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful that you have given us far more than we could ever ask for, far more than we would ever deserve. But Father, may that forgiveness so empower us, so inspire us, so motivate us to forgive as you forgive. Help us, Father, through the power of your spirit in view of the cross to live a life of forgiveness, to live redemptively in our world. In Jesus' name we pray.